0: Good morning, Three Rivers Church. I'm glad you guys are gathered and uh we are here today. Uh and I just want to say thanks to this amazing crew who's making this stuff happen for Adam coming uh, to lead worship and Chris and, and Jeff and Jeff doing some really heavy lifting and editing and, and videoing. So you guys give them, uh, a shout out and, and thanks for their, their work. Just a couple of things that come to mind before we jump into Genesis 42 in the, in the next few weeks, we're still going to be scattered and we're going to be gathered in our homes and in groups under 10 and seeking to be good citizens. And at the same time, um, be faithful to what God's given us to do in our city. So in the coming weeks, uh, John Palmer's going to be speaking uh, as he preaches in Genesis, and Pastor Emmett's going to be preaching to us on Easter Sunday, and then we'll pick back up with our passages. Uh, As long as God allows us to be scattered, we're going to continue to use this medium. So um, we're learning as we go and uh, doing a really, uh, I think, fine job. Uh, These guys are making this uh, stuff available to you. So uh, we're going to study today Genesis chapter 42. So if you have a Bible, why don't you grab that And uh, we're going to look at it together. But before we get started, I'm going to pray. And uh, we're going to seek the Lord together from Genesis chapter 42. Let's pray. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would be our helper. Holy Spirit, that you would be our counselor, our teacher, and our guide to truth. Make your word be a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And help us to hide it deep in our hearts. We might not sin against you. Make it an instrument of instruction to engage today and to preach the gospel and make disciples and to fulfill your mission of discipling the nations from right here in Rome, Georgia. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Genesis chapter 42, and if we're looking at this passage and putting a title on it, it would be something along the lines of it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, The big idea in this passage today is that it is God's gracious kindness that leads particularly Joseph's brothers in Genesis 42. But for us and, and for a theological truth in general, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Moses is now going to shift the story a little bit off of Joseph into how through Joseph God intends to save his people. Moses is going to show us in this passage a part of the nature of God and God's power to save sinners. Now, last week I mentioned as we walked through Genesis 41 that I'd give you some things from the end of Genesis 41, uh, gospel tributary truths. Uh, I'm not going to comment on that now, but it's going to be in the notes that you'll see below this video, and you can read that and discuss that together. But what I'd like for you to do right now Uh, is stop and uh, stop the video, pause the video, and read Genesis chapter 42 together. Now you can do this uh, as you pause the video. One person can read it. Uh, All of you in your family or in your group gathered, you can take time to read certain parts of it, but I want you to read the passage out loud and I want you to read it together. Because part of our task right now is not just to provide you content, but it's also to help you Learn to study the passage together as we are scattered, because here's the deal. Right now in this time, in this season God has us in, you all are the preachers of God's Word. You all all are the evangelists. You all are the ones who are teaching each other. So I don't just want to preach to you. I want to help equip you to teach one another. So I want you to read the passage, and after you've read the passage, um, I want you to Hit play again, and then I'm going to walk you through how we're going to study this passage together. Okay, so you've read Genesis chapter 42. Uh, in our time of being scattered, I want to take full advantage of this opportunity to help us to continue to grow in Christ and prepare us to teach one another as we make disciples By studying the Scriptures together, there are three basic questions that I'm going to be asking today and that I want you to ask as well, not just in our time together or your discussion that you're going to have after this, but also as you interact with other people, as folks are asking spiritual questions, as folks are seeking God. There are three basic questions I want you to ask each other and I want you to ask others as well as they look for guidance in these particular times. And here are the three questions. What does the passage say? As you read the passage, I want you to learn to somehow summarize it in your own words. Get the gist of the passage. What is the story telling us? Because these are not just historical narratives. They're theological narratives, and they're teaching us truth about God. They're teaching us who He is and how we can be saved. So learn what the passage says because it's in the overall story that we learn those truths Second question to ask is, what does this passage teach us about God and man? What is this passage teaching us about who God is and who we are in relation to God and what God is doing to save us? And third, how do we apply this passage? How do we make use of this passage today? What do we need to believe? What do we need to know? And what do we need to do? Those are the three questions of application. So, The first question, what does Genesis 42 say? Work hard at trying to summarize this passage together after you've read it. I'm going to do a summary, and it may be the longest thing that I do today is summarizing the passage. So we're going to attack that first question, what does the passage say? Famine has now struck the land. People are coming from all over the earth to Egypt for help because Joseph was successful under the Lord's power to harness those plentiful years. Now, Jacob and the family are struggling in their homeland, and it's evidenced by Jacob's statement to the brothers, why do you stand here looking at each other? The implication is, from Jacob to his brothers, guys, go do something. So it's clearly a difficult time. Jacob has heard that food is available in Egypt, so he sends his sons down there for food, except he will not send Benjamin now, maybe he fears something will happen to Benjamin because he has begun to suspect his other sons and their absence and Joseph's absence and then Joseph's disappearance. The text doesn't tell us that, but clearly Jacob is not real comfortable with sending Benjamin along, so he has him stay behind and sends the other brothers. Joseph's brothers come down to Egypt And guess who they're greeted by when they get there? And guess who they bow to, just like the dream God gave him? Yes, it is Joseph. Joseph, we see, has been somewhat Egyptianized. He's clean shaven, he's wearing Egyptian clothes. He has been wed to a priestess as his wife, and his brothers, his appearance is so changed, and the time has been so long that his brothers don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And Joseph, though, acts like he doesn't know them, and he speaks harshly to them. He doesn't treat them with initial verbal kindness. Joseph remembers the dream, and Joseph remembers that God has been faithful. Joseph then accuses them of being spies, and of course they deny that they're spies because they're not spies. They're simply coming for food. And then the brothers tell part of their story. They say, we were 12 brothers, one's at home with their father, and one is no more. Can you imagine how Joseph is feeling as he hears this statement that one's at home, father's still alive, and then there's that one that's no more. And what they don't realize, the one they're telling this story to is the one they think is no more. And can you imagine Joseph's feeling in that moment? So Joseph then we see in... Chapter 42, verse 15, Joseph tests them. In fact, the passage says, By this you shall be tested. And then Joseph gives them the test. Here's what he wants them to do. He wants them to send one back. The brother, uh, or send. he wants them to send one, and then bring back Benjamin, who's been left behind, staying with the father, while the rest remain in custody. And then he does this. He jails them for Three days to think it over, and then check this out. Joseph brings them out on the third day. Hmm. Now, remember, one of the things we have been talking about as we study through the book of Genesis is how Jesus taught us how to read these passages, and particularly in Luke chapter twenty-four, where Jesus said, "Do you not understand that the that the Messiah must suffer and on the third day rise?" and that forgiveness and uh, and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in His name to all nations. Remember, Jesus taught us how to read these passages. So these things about three days, put in prison, being brought back out, are little tiny snippets there that are to point us to these gospel realities that we find in the New Testament. So Joseph puts them in custody, and on the third day, he resurrects them to life. They come out of prison, so to speak, figuratively resurrected to life, but he brings them out of prison And then Joseph at this point has a new plan. And what's his reasoning? Joseph says, I fear God. So rather than sending one back, he keeps one. And he sends the rest back. Now I find this very interesting that the brothers haven't mentioned God to this point. Joseph has been the only one to bring up the Lord. Joseph, though, is the one that's been Egyptianized. Joseph is the one who's living in a foreign land, living in a foreign way. Yet Joseph is the one who remembers the Lord. And his brothers haven't even brought God up yet. But Joseph's plan, because he fears God, is leave one behind. The rest carry food for home. They get their younger brother, bring him back, and so prove they are who they say they are. And something miraculous happens. In verse 21 of chapter 42, the confronting of their situation brings the brothers to the place of this confession. And here's what they say, verse 21. Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us, and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. They begin to recognize and feel the guilt of their wrong. Reuben recognizes that they have sown evil, and now they are reaping evil as a reckoning for Joseph's blood. Joseph is getting and understanding all of this. He's hearing it. And Joseph is so moved that he weeps. Joseph then takes Simeon, he binds him, and gives orders to his men to fill the rest of the brothers' sacks with grain and provisions for the journey. Not just food for when they get home, but provisions for the travel back home. And then he replaces their money in their sacks. What kindness on the part of Joseph, but also a shock on the part of the brothers who are going to find it out later. They leave, and on their way, they stop to feed the animals. And one of them opens their sack, and bam... There is their money, and they're afraid. Joseph has been kind, but his kindness isn't received as kindness because they don't know what's happening. They're feeling guilty. They're recognizing they're wrong. And they see that kindness as something to be afraid of. And now we see God's on their radar. They start talking about God. In verse 28 of chapter 42, they say, What is this that God has done to us? Living in their sin has so messed up their view of God that all they know or think of is that God is bringing their sin home to roost, so to speak. This is not completely untrue. For whatever one sows, that will they reap. That's a biblical principle. That's a nature nature of things God has built into created order. So they have sown evil and they are now reaping evil. So it's not untrue that their sin is coming home to roost. But that seems to be the only thing they can speak of. And it seems to be the only thing they know about God at this point. But there is so much more. They're missing the kindness component. The brothers start to see that their sin is being called to account and that God is not going to let their sin reign and He's not going to let their sin rule the day. God intends to save them in spite of them. The brothers get home. And they relay the story to Jacob and how they have to go back and take Benjamin with them. So they open up all their sacks at that moment and bam, again, there is the money they were supposed to pay with in their sacks. And this great kindness done to them by Joseph is testing their hearts because they don't know who he is and they are afraid. Afraid. And Jacob is absolutely devastated. We read in verse 36 of chapter 42, Jacob says this, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. Reuben takes the lead and offers his two sons as a pledge that if he does not bring Benjamin back that he can have his sons, in fact, kill his two sons, and Jacob refuses. Wow, what a story. And that's the question, what is it God is doing here? God and his great kindness is exercising his kindness to draw these sons of Jacob to repentance. And they can't see it because they are absolutely blinded by their sin and their cover-up. Everything has been in the darkness and it is being brought to light and they are blinded by their sin. So that's a restating of the story. What does it say? That's what it says. Now the question for us, the second question I want you to ask is, what does this passage teach us about God and man? Now you remember I said in our title, we're talking about the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So that's a major, the major theme of this passage is that Moses is teaching his people who God is and the fact that he intends to save them sometimes in spite of them, and he does it through kindness. So what does Genesis 42 teach us about God and man? The first thing I want to draw your attention to is a gospel tributary in the passage. Check this out. The brothers do not get what they deserve. The brothers don't get what they deserve. When I read stories like this, and I think through the implications, I have a strong sense of justice, and I can think of all manner of things that ought to happen to these brothers And guess what? None of that happens. In fact, the brothers simply don't get what they deserve. In fact, they get the opposite. They get provision, they get blessing, and they have their sin revealed so that they can be rescued and eventually reconciled to Joseph. And who blesses them? None other than the one that they hurt. Joseph paid the price for their sin And He didn't give them what they deserved. He gave them grace and kindness. Now, you smell the gospel in that? In Christ, we do not get what we deserve. In fact, our sin offends Jesus. It stands opposed to Christ. But rather than Him coming at us, He pays the penalty for our sin on the cross, in our place, for our sin, buried, rises, ascends, and gives grace and salvation to those who repent and believe. And that is woven into this story. That's a gospel tributary we can see in the passage. The brothers don't get what they deserve. In fact, they get blessing because of Joseph. Second thing we learn here about God and man is we see that man's sin blinds man to God's kindness, and they can't see God's kindness Joseph's brothers only saw condemnation when they saw the gracious provision of Joseph. They misinterpreted the grace of God. They looked at the provision and it made them afraid. Joseph's testing revealed the guilt that was present over their sin. Guilt and sin and shame cause us to misrepresent misinterpret and missee who God is. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 to 6 speaks to this. Now I'll just read the six verses because they're very important in Paul's teaching to the church at Corinth and helping them to see the nature of spiritual blindness. Paul says this, Therefore, having the ministry, or this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what we see here is that sin blinds us to the grace of God. Sin blinds us to the mercy of God. So man in his fallen sinful state is blind to the mercy that God is giving them in Jesus. In fact, we often see that folks who are apart from Christ may speak evil against God and His truths because they are blind to seeing it. Joseph's brothers are blind to seeing and they misread grace and kindness and see it as something to be feared. We see also here that God used and He still uses awareness of guilt and fear to produce a godly grief in order to show these brothers that they need saving. Verse 21 of chapter 42, to recount what they say, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother God used the awareness of their guilt that He produced by showing them kindness to show them they needed saving. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a godly grief that the kindness of Jesus Christ and the gospel provides that reveals sin and causes a grief that causes us to turn to Christ. And God used that kindness through Joseph to make them aware of their sin and awaken them to their need for saving. God being good then and mighty, this is the other thing we see here in the passage, God being good and mighty, harnesses guilt. This is absolutely astounding. Check this out. God harnesses guilt and fear and grief as gospel instruments to bring us and bring them to a place of saving. Guilt, fear, and grief are not necessarily good things. In fact, guilt, fear, and grief are products of the fall. But God being good and mighty mighty harnesses them to bring the brothers to a place of saving, and He does the same thing for us. God's ability to harness these things as Instruments to save show us a couple things about God. They show us, number one, God's mastery over sin. Sin never carries the day. God and sin are not two co-equal forces going at each other. Sin is a product of human rebellion against God, and God being the creator of all things and sustainer of all things rules over sin. God has mastery over sin, and sin will never carry the day. We also learn that God defeats the curse... With the curse. God defeats evil with the things produced from evil. He takes the curse's weapons and He kills the curse with its own weapons. We even have a song we sing about that where we talk about He tramples over death by death. Jesus destroys death by dying in our place for our sin and rising and destroying death. So God, being good and mighty, harnesses guilt, fear, and grief as instruments to bring those brothers to a place of saving. Final thing we learn about God and man here is that God harnesses guilt and fear with kindness. How does God take guilt, fear, and grief? How does He harness them? How does He rein them in? He does it with His kindness. Romans 2, 4 tells us it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Joseph, God's instrument of grace in this story, the one who points us to Jesus' work, who shows us how Jesus acts towards us, tests His brothers not with retribution that I would give or maybe you would give, but He tests his brothers with kindness and that kindness awakens guilt and fear and grief and become instruments to save them. Joseph fears God, so he sends provision and food for free and he swallows vengeance and destroys vengeance and only dispenses kindness. So God harnesses guilt and fear and he does it with his kindness. We see that in the gospel, the kindness of God to save sinners, to take that penalty for us on himself, and he shows kindness, and in so doing, he harnesses guilt and fear and grief. So, the third question we ask, what are we supposed to do with this? How do we apply this? Well remember we asked some key questions of application. What are we to believe? What are we to know? And what are we to do? Sometimes there are a lot of things to believe, sometimes there's a lot of things to know. Sometimes there are a lot of things to do. Sometimes it's just things we need to believe. Sometimes it's just things we need to do, and sometimes it's just things we need to know. In this instance, we have a little bit of mix here of all of those things. And perhaps as you guys are studying this passage at home, you're going to find a mix of things that the Lord brings to mind as you study this stuff together. Because, by the way, very important, part of the dynamic of Bible study is Trinitarian Fellowship the greatest things you're going to learn from scriptures not so much someone standing in front of you giving you truth and and proclamation. That is one way that happens, and it is a God-appointed way. There are words for that in the Bible. God sends prophets. He sends teachers to teach. But one of the chief ways that you learn is in Trinitarian Fellowship, where we together, full of the Spirit together, read and study God's Word together, and we toss it back and forth, and we ask key questions. And in so doing, there are a litany, an endless list of beautiful things the Holy Spirit will bring to mind. So you may find in your group, Many things to believe, many things to know, many things to do. I'm just going to give you a sampling. So, how do we apply the passage? Well, number one, we need to believe. We need to believe that God wants to save sinners from sin's death. We need to really believe that, because if we believe that God intends to save sinners, if we get if we get Genesis 42 here as a redemptive chapter that shows us God's heartbeat and desire to use the curse's effects to destroy the curse that He might save sinners, if we really believe that, then that should lead to some manner of practice to tell that story. So we need to believe that God wants to save sinners from sin's death. We need to believe that God delights in saving the most despicable and even the least despicable among us. It's easy to point out the most despicable like I think these brothers are. It's not like they're good guys. They sold their brother into slavery and lied about him to his father because they hated him? Despicable. And it's easy to look at those people and say, those are the ones that need saving, but God delights in saving the least despicable too, the person maybe who thinks they're saved because they are good. We need to understand and believe that God wants to save sinners from sin's death because whether we're the most despicable or the least despicable, we are in need of the same saving because sin produces death. Little sin, big sin produces death. The payout, the wages of sin is death. And we need to believe that God wants to. And in the notes, you'll notice I have wants all capitalized because it is God's desire to save sinners from sin's death. He delights in that. And he will make sure to get his word by all means to people in order to show who he is and save some and maybe even call some wandering stragglers back home. The lengths God went to to get Joseph to Egypt that he might rescue his people are staggering. So don't be surprised if the if the links God goes to to save sinners in this time we are scattered are staggering. God wants to save sinners, so we need to believe that. Number two, know that right now. The Lord has us scattered on purpose and on mission to spread the aroma of the kindness of Jesus to those who need to know this truth and experience His grace. Do not believe that any of this has taken God by surprise. In fact, believe that it is a strategic implementation on God's part to spread the aroma of Christ to those he wants to make sure his word gets to. And it is astounding the number of people who watched this last week versus who normally shows up on a Sunday morning, almost numerically tripling the number of people who hear and participate on an average Sunday morning. So we need to know that right now the Lord wants to save from sin's death and He has scattered us on purpose to be on mission with the gospel. He went to great lengths in Genesis 42 to save those brothers, and He will go to great lengths to save people from all tribes, tongues, nations, and languages, because He wants to do it. Third application for us, receive the kindness of God in Jesus by turning from sin and believing in Jesus. Now you think... I'm already a Christian, that doesn't apply to me. Hang tight for just a second. Receive the kindness of God in Jesus Christ by turning from sin and believing in Jesus. This is an invitation for those who are awakened by the gospel to turn to Christ. If you're watching this and you haven't repented of sin and by faith believed in Jesus, I encourage you to do that. And you can hit us up below this at the email address supplied, and we'll love to talk to you more about following Jesus and getting involved in a local church. But this kindness is also for those who already know Jesus. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 tells us, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, as you received Him, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." Life in Christ as a follower of Jesus is the same as continuing to believe in Jesus. It's not a different level of belief. It's not a different faith. It's not like we're progressing in levels of Christianity. That's, you're not going to find that in the Bible. Paul's going to tell us right here that as you receive the Lord, keep living that way. In other words, the same faith you believe by is the same faith you live by. In other words, we're to live in faith right now that Jesus is being kind to us. So it's not just receive the Lord and be saved. It's continue to follow the Lord and live like a saved person. We are to live in the same faith that saved us right now. We're to sink our roots deep into Jesus by trusting that He is continuing to save us. Yes, even right now that He wants to keep us and teach us to love Him more. Our salvation is not a one and done It's an ongoing reality of done and being made more done every single day. Romans 8.30 says this, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Meaning? that he is saving us, he saved us, and he is continuing to save us, and he is going to save us. And so we're to keep living by the same faith that saves us right now. Be okay with Jesus continuing to establish our faith through this light testing that we are going through. Just a couple more. Let's rest. In this gospel truth, we learn about God from Genesis 42. Let's Sabbath. Let's rest in this gospel truth we learn about God in this passage and pray for Jesus to advance this truth as we are sitting sheltered in place and bound to our homes and only a few places in our city. Let's rest in this truth. Let's hang out in this truth. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he said, take it on you and learn from me. John Stott said this, we work for God, but we seldom wait on God. Commenting on that statement from John Stott, Ray Ortland Jr. said this, maybe that's a big part of what this enforced isolation is really all about. God is preparing us for His greater power in the near future, realigning us with His way of making progress. So be it. And here's what I would say to Stott's statement. God is perhaps making us Sabbath now to show us that we are His beloved children who work with Him and are not replacements for Him. We don't replace Him with our labor God got Joseph to Egypt. God brought the brothers to Egypt. God worked in Joseph's heart to show his kindness to his brothers. God would work in Jacob's heart to work with the plan. And God would get Jacob down to Egypt to see his son. God would pull that off. He would make that happen. So let's make sure that we rest in this gospel truth that God intends to make His kindness known, and we are workers with Him. We don't replace Him. So let's Sabbath in the time God has given us and simply obey His Word. And finally, let's worship. Let's worship. God has been gracious to us, and He saves sinners, and He keeps us saved by His kindness and His grace. And that causes me to want to worship. Pray with me and then we'll worship together. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would take the truth of your word and cause it to produce the fruit of worship in us. Cause our lips to sing of your praise. Cause our hearts to ascend to the throne of heaven. Help us to join with the hosts of heaven who are already praising you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.